Oh, man, God's grace is amazing. Do you know how many accidents that God prevented you from having? Do you know how many times you could have fell off the cliff, but God sent his angels to keep charge over us? See, it's easier to thank God for the blessings that he gives, but there's blessings that we don't realize or see that God blesses us with all the time. That's why I love that song, because he gives his angels charge over us. And in those times of danger, God will stop the storm. But today we're going to talk about those opportune times where God's grace is sufficient in the storm. His grace is truly, truly sufficient. And there's a a wonderful quote while I was preparing for this message that I got to see. And And it tells us how serious God's grace is and how real it is. If you think it's your alarm clock that wakes you up every morning, try putting it next to a corpse and understand the grace of God. Oh, come on, somebody. It ain't so much how we can set our alarms or so much that we think we're able to get ourselves up, but isn't it God's grace? Isn't it God's mercy? There's a song that I grew up with. He woke me up this morning with my mind stayed on Jesus. It is God's amazing, sufficient grace that empowers us, that allows us to get up every day. But it's also God's amazing, sustaining, sufficient grace that even allows the crickets to make their noise and the birds to sing and the flowers to blossom. God's grace is amazing. God's grace isn't just some theological, some, some lofty term that, that we love to write about or, or, or love to theologize about. But God's grace is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the manifestation and the personification of God's amazing grace. And because of God's great love for us, he sent his only son that he might die for us, that we might be able to endure even in the times of suffering and to understand and know and experience that his grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient whatever we are going through today. God's grace is sufficient enough to carry you when it looks like Everything is turning every way but loose. God's grace is sufficient to hold us together. In the midst of our doubts and fears, God's grace is sufficient. When your family isn't acting right, you know, you may have that wayward son, wayward daughter, or even that husband or wife, you know how they don't act right all the time. God's grace is sufficient. When you're lied on, when you're misunderstood, God's grace is sufficient. When you have nothing to give and all you can do is just show up. I don't know if you've ever been there. But God's grace is sufficient. When things at work aren't right. When that boss or co-worker is out to get you. God's grace is sufficient. Sufficient enough to help you to stand in the face of adversity. See, God's grace is multifaceted, multilayered. 
and is able to keep us no matter what we face. You see, it is our weakness that God's greatest work can be accomplished. Paul called it God's abundance grace. He calls it God's, the riches of God's grace. And in 2 Corinthians 9, the surpassing grace of God. Peter called it the manifold, the multicolored goodness of God's grace. College Hill Presbyterian Church, however we label it, however we define it, God's grace is sufficient in Jesus Christ. And we're going to use today the Apostle Paul as our illustration of how even in the midst of pain, even in the midst when God says no, his grace is enough. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray, God, that you, Lord, would minister your word. We pray for the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, that it would fall on good soil. And Lord, that you would anoint the ears to hear. But God, anoint the voice to speak your word from heaven. Bless this word, O God, that you will be glorified and edified. In Jesus' name, amen. If I have the scriptures, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. Do we have that for the screen? Well, I'll, I'll go ahead and read it. I see, I, actually, i got to find it in my, in my Bible. Oh, he's got it up there? Good, good, good. Very good. It is necessary to boast. Nothing is to be gained by it. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a person in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that such a person, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, that God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard things that are not to be told, that no mortal is permitted to repeat. On behalf of such a one, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. But if I wish to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think better of me than what is seen in me or heard from me, even considering the exceptional character of the revelations. Therefore, to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But he said to me, <laughs> check this out, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is made perfect in weakness. Paul's response, so I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. So that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. Paul was an amazing man. You know, in this 2 Corinthians, he writes this letter to the Corinthian church. 
And obviously there have been rumors going around that Paul wasn't uh, really called of God as an apostle. And so he was, in a lot of this text, he's refuting what some of the rumors was, was that he wasn't uh, a great apostle like some of those who were originally with Jesus. And so Paul is, throughout this Second Corinthians letter, he is emphasizing just how weak he is. Because obviously those who were discounting him were bragging how great they were. Haven't you been there? Someone would tear you down in order to make themselves look better. When the same way they were saying this about Paul, and Paul in his letter is saying, well, you know, I've, I've been persecuted, I've been beat up, I've been whipped, you know, and I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, and, you know, if anybody can brag about being Jewish and of the, of the chosen, that's me. But he said, of all that, there's one thing that I can only boast about, and that's my weakness. But that weakness didn't come easy. Because how many of us know where a lot of times we can be stubborn? We as human beings. Or maybe that's just me. Because you all just looking like I'm the only one that has that issue. But I believe the Bible teaches us, I'll, I'll put it that way. The Bible teaches us that humanity has issues with pride. Humanity has issues with self-centeredness. And so sometimes... In order to receive the grace of God, God has to put us in a place of weakness and allow things to happen in order that we might receive. Because it's, it's opposite to think that we can be prideful, yet be full of God's grace. See, because just the notion of grace says, I can't do it. I'm unable to accomplish all that is needed to be accomplished in my life. See, grace is more than just salvation. Grace is life. See, some of us think, oh, I'm just going to get saved and God's going to give me his grace. I'm going to get out of hell and I get to walk my own life the way I want to. Well, my friends, that is not the fullness of God's grace. The fullness of God's grace is, is I can't make it another day. I can't make it another hour without the help of Jesus. And so because we're not apt to think like that or to, or to say that, God will allow, allow things to come into our lives. And so we see this with Paul. He allows a thorn in Paul's flesh in order for Paul to become humble and, 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 and to admit that he's weak. Now, it's interesting because, you know, when we think of a thorn... You know, a lot of times, you know, when we read this passage, we think like of a rose, you know, little thorns, and we get pricked, and, you know, that pain is temporary, right? You know, it hurts for the moment. But, you know, the thorn that Paul is talking about, and he's using this metaphor of the severity of the pain, is like three to four inches long. Can you imagine? Or well, we don't want to imagine. But a thorn in the flesh, like something this long, that is stuck in you, and you can't get it out. And so you have to go throughout the day, go throughout the week, go throughout the month, go throughout your life with something like this stuck in your flesh. 
And then God has the, the, the audacity when we pray and, and when, God, when, when Paul prayed and, and, and he prays three times, God just answers back with, my grace is sufficient. It says that Paul prayed this three times. I say, I believe that this was a span of time. I don't believe it was just, you know, oh, I feel bad. God, take it away. And then 10 minutes later, oh, God, I feel bad. I believe in the 14 years where he said that he had gotten this revelation and when he was in the third heaven and God gave him this thorn in order to humble him and for him to feel weak, I believe this happened in the span of 14 years and that within those 14 years, three seasons in his life, Paul prayed and asked this thorn to be removed. Have any of you been there? When you're dealing with something in your life and you've been dealing with it for quite some time, it may be an illness, it may be another individual, it may be some other calamity in your life and you just can't shake it and you prayed and there's different seasons in your life when you felt that you were really fervent with God and, 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 and you named it and claimed it and, and God's response was either silence or no. Well, this is where Paul was. And so there's five lessons from Paul that we, we see from the sufficiency of God's grace. When in the midst of your storm, in the midst of your pain, and either we hear nothing or God says no. The first thing I believe God wants to do in us is create humility. First word, humble. This thorn, and this is the crazy part, which was a messenger of Satan. Oh, isn't that horrible? Aren't we supposed to be able to rebuke Satan in the name of Jesus? Aren't we supposed to put on the full armor of God and God protects us from all kinds of harm, danger? Isn't that the way it's supposed to be in Christianity? Isn't it? Yet, like Job, God allows the enemy to come in, come in sometimes. And he allows the enemy to, to mess with us sometime. And God's answer was not to rebuke Satan, not to pulverize the enemy. But God's answer was, my grace is sufficient. My grace is enough. But it creates like humility. It creates, the next word is dependence. God will often allow these things to come into our life to create a total dependence on him. Sometimes you can't make enough money. Sometimes you can't run enough miles. Sometimes you can't take enough medicine. Sometimes we just have to depend on God. Oh, let me tell you from someone who, who lives it. It ain't fun to depend on God. Oh, it's fun when, when I want to have the victory in Jesus. You know, and, 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 I, and I want things to get better and I want to feel good. Oh, then, then, then it's good to depend on God. But when you're going through stuff, 
When it hurts. When your body is aching. I know this isn't a good analogy, but one of my most extreme experiences of pain is when I ran a marathon. (laughs) Yeah, this big old body did it. But I hit my wall early. (laughs) You know, you've heard about the wall. That's when everything shuts down. But I hit my wall around the 14, 15 mile, you know, and and a marathon is 26.2 miles. But in the midst of that, I was like, you know, because I love the Lord and I know he loves me. And I'm like praying. I'm like, God, I know that you can, like, take away this lactic acid. See, I was getting all scientific, telling him what. <laughs> God, I know you can take away the ache and pain. Because, church, my head was hurting. My shoulder was hurting. My fingers were hurting. And I was like, God, I know you can take this away. Because you know what? From the very beginning, church, I said, I'm running this race for Jesus. Right? This was all for his glory. You know, my t-shirt that said, I love Jesus. And I was, you know, I was being a witness. So God, I shouldn't have to suffer. Right? This, this marathon should be easy. Er. But College Hill, as you know, in your own life, he didn't take away the lactic acid. Ah, Jesus. He didn't take away the headache, the, the, the pain, the exhaustion, where it was easier to trot than it was to walk. But do you know what God did? He said, Dennis, I'm with you. If you'll just make it to that water station, that's all I'm asking of you. Just make it to the water station. And so I would set my goals on the water station. Let me tell you, in the same way, when you're in your pain, sometimes you just need to go to the water station. Sometimes you just need to open up God's word and, and let the washing of his word tell you everything's going to be all. Sometimes you got to go to the Psalms. Because, see, I'm one of those honest people. I'll tell God I feel like crap. And so I'll go and see David. See, sometimes if you could just get to God's word, something about his sustaining and refreshing word will give you some Motivation to go to the next stop. God didn't take away my pain. But every water station was an example of his sustaining grace. That he will work in and through your pain. Until you get to your destination. And let me tell you. I was 25th, at the 25th mile, and you know they have those little golf carts. That was the, that was the devil. <laughs> oh, you know, them little golf carts going by, you know, because, you know, they're for people that, that are looking like me, because I was like, <laughs> you know, like this, and, you know, they just kept driving by. <laughs> 
But I'm telling you, at the 25th mile, and after seeing all those golf carts and being so tempted, my wife was there at that 25th mile. And she started to run with me. Come on, somebody. There was a rejuvenation in me to know the presence was there, that someone was going with me, someone was running with me. I'm here to tell you that God is walking with you. He's running with you. And then, and then let me, she, she didn't run that whole mile, but she, but she ran further up so that I could see her at the finish line. In the midst of the suffering and pain, there is a picture ahead of us. And God says, you're running for my glory. One day there will be no more lactic acid. One day there will be no more tears. No, one day there will be no more pain. No more, more, no more metal in your back. One day, he he will wipe every tear away and the lion will lay down with the lamb. Church, this is how God's grace can be sufficient in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the suffering. Yes, it still hurts. Yes, it's still you're fatigued and you want to quit. But go to those stations and look to God who's at the finish line, the author and the finisher of your faith. And he will get you through. Number three, sufficiency. Paul acknowledged that the presence of Jesus is enough. He really is enough. He isn't some fairy tale. He isn't some make-believe God. He is real and he is tangible. And if you ask for his presence in the midst of your pain, he will come. And then number four, his power. Do you know there's some things we just can't explain? I can't explain how in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain, and experiencing God's grace, that somehow power is able to flow through me. I don't know, have you ever been there? I used to do a lot of witnessing. And, 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 and one day I was so upset with God I'm like, God, I'm not even playing with you today. I know y'all can't handle that, but that's the way I talk. God, I'm not even, I'm not even, I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to read your word. God, I'm, I'm not, I'm not dealing with you today. And so I go throughout the day. And do you know that? Someone had the nerve to ask me about God. No, no, no. See, I didn't feel like it. I was going through my stuff and I was upset with God. And this person had the audacity in the midst of all that stuff to ask me about God. I didn't didn't go out looking for him. He came to me. And do you know that nappy-haired guy came to Jesus? Don't tell me about God's sufficient grace. 
that you can be so put off with God, that you can be so broken, that you can be so angry, and God will still use you. There's a power that happens to God's children in our weakness, in our brokenness, that God will usher his strength and he'll come through and do something miraculous that we can't even get credit for. When was the last time God has done something in your life that only he can get credit for? Oh, my God. That's called grace. That's the grace of God. When God works and moves in such a way and you have to look back and say, but God. Only God could have accomplished that. And lastly, contentment. Paul was content. It takes an amazing experience with God to have this sticking in your flesh and be content. To wake up every morning in pain, yet say, Thank you, Jesus. One of my heroes, and a lot of you know her, Johnny Erickson Tata. She's the young lady that had the diving accident. And as a result, the water was too shallow. She became a paraplegic. And now she is in a wheelchair. You know, she has no use of her hands, her legs. You know, she, uh, she paints with her mouth, using her mouth. And her contentment didn't come from just resigning that she didn't want to be healed. Johnny Erickson Tata begged God to heal her. Because he's able, church. Isn't he able? <laughs> he's able. And so, so we're not talking about resigning our faith. Because God is able. But when God speaks to your spirit and speaks to your heart, and he says, my grace is sufficient, I'm not going to get you out this wheelchair. There's a peace and contentment that will come because you've heard the voice of God. So, so, so Johnny Erickson talks about, she says, my wheelchair is like a sheepdog nipping at my heels, chasing me to the cross. Every time... I sit in my wheelchair. It's like a sheepdog nipping at my heels, chasing me to the cross. College Hill Presbyterian Church, who or what is your sheepdog? What is it in your life, what calamity that you're experiencing that God is using through his sovereign grace to chase you to the cross? I'm telling you, we serve a good God. We serve a loving God. And everything that happened to us comes through the filter of his grace and his love. So what is it that God is allowing in our life that is causing us to head right to Jesus? One of my favorite stories in the Bible is about the woman caught in adultery. 
Because I think she's one of the smartest people around. You know why? She went to Jesus. She got caught. They were threatening to, to, to bludgeon her. But at his feet she falls. I want to encourage you and exhort, as I do myself, in the midst of the stuff, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the calamity, in the midst of the under, misunderstandings, run to Jesus. Humble ourselves, run and fall at his feet. And in his presence, there's fullness of joy. In the presence of our God of grace, we find contentment. You've all heard this saying about, I remember Pastor Drew was preaching this when I came to visit. And he was preaching about the storm. And he said, either you're leaving one, you're in the middle of one, you're about to have one. It's the truth with life. Either you're just leaving a storm, you're in one, or you're about to go into one. Whether where you are in life, his grace is enough. Jesus is enough. In the midst of all the trial, he not only saves us, but he gives us his life to sustain us. I want us to see this clip. God's grace saves us so much, so deep, so wide, so high, that it revolutionizes our life.
His grace is sufficient.